This is the word of the Lord, saints, give it your full attention. I'll be reading from verse 1. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and said, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not, will your not countenance be lifted up? And if you not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Or, or where, uh, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying for me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a you will be a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, "My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I'll be a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will be will kill me." And so the Lord said to him, "Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on them sevenfold." And the Lord appoint a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence, or ran out from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, and now to the preaching of his word. You may be seated. The Christian life, saints, for many is not only the best life one could live, but it's also the most difficult life one could live. It is the best life one could live, but also it's the most difficult life one could live. The reason why it's the best life, because we have received, we have, we have been given someone that we have not earned, but has given himself to us, that is, God, God is the one who is the supreme good of all. And we have God as our inheritance. But saints, it's also a difficult life to live. Because in addition to having God as our inheritance, we also have sin that continues to, to leave scars and, and marks upon our bodies. It's very easy, in many ways, to teach us about God. It's very hard for the Christian to live rightly unto God. We are surrounded by so much temptation. We are surrounded by so many things that are causing us, that are striving to knock us and remove us from the presence of God. What do we see in Cain's saints is a story of one who doesn't kill sin at the very moment of its conception, who allows sin to linger, who entertains sin, ultimately will destroy that person, will drive that person away from the presence of God. What we'll do this morning, saints, is really consider this story and this great fall of Cain, and the lessons we can learn from Cain and how and how at the end Jesus Christ is so much better than Cain. Before we consider verse 8, let's first set the stage of what's about to transpire. Verse 3 through 5 say, In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the, first, uh, the firstborn of the, of the flock of, uh, and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. 
Verse 3 through 5 is really the, the calm before the storm. The storm being the murder of Abel. And sets up for us the, the, the motivation behind Abel's death. This sets up for us the reason why Cain killed his brother. It's a Sabbath day. It's harvest time. And these brothers were to bring a, an offering to the Lord. Verse 3 tells us that Cain brought the fruit, the Lord, the fruit of his ground. In other words, Cain brought to the Lord the leftovers. He brought to the Lord an unacceptable sacrifice. Cain's cheap offering. Just like the people of Israel in Malachi's day who brought cheap offerings to the Lord reveals Cain's heart toward God. In other words, by offering an animal that is lame and sick, by offering an animal that is not the best, by offering a sacrifice to the Lord that is not pleasing to the Lord, ultimately what you're saying is, God, you are not worthy of such offering. You are not worthy of the best. The sacrifice reveals Cain's wicked heart. It reveals, saints, the self-centeredness of Cain. It it reveals the selfishness of Cain. It reveals the, the sinfulness of Cain. But we see in verse 4, Abel, his brother, did not bring the same offering that Cain brought. Abel brought to the Lord the fattest and plumpest of his flock. In fact, Hebrews 11.4 tells us, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel didn't hold back. He didn't hold back the best. But rather, he gave to the Lord the best. Abel brings to God acceptable worship, while his brother Cain brings to the Lord false worship. As a result of these two offerings that are brought to the Lord, verse 4 goes on to say that the Lord had regard for Cain and his offering, and verse 5, but for Cain, or rather for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. In other words, God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering. Verse 5 will go on to say, so Cain became very angry. Because God does not accept Cain's offering, Cain becomes very angry. And this word very angry literally means steaming white hot. Many of us have been there before, have we not? To the point where we might be shaking, to the point where we can't control ourselves, to the point where we want to punch the wall, do something to let out our frustration, That is what Cain is feeling at this moment. He is angrily white hot. So God steps in and he counsels Cain. Verse six through seven, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must master it. God here essentially gives Cain two choices that lead to two separate destinations. Two choices that lead to two different ends. If Cain does well, if he obeys God, repents, and does what God commands, God will forgive him and God will welcome him. That's one choice. Seems like the rational choice. But if Cain does not do well, if Cain does not do well, If Cain does not heed to the Lord's warning, then then the Lord says to Cain, then sin awaits you. Then sin awaits you. If you do not do well, then there is a beast that is awaiting to trample you, Cain. Notice, saints, the way in which God describes sin. It's analogical, of course, but it's helpful for us to understand the the very nature of sin, the very power of sin. Again, the Lord says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Imagine the Lord telling you sin is crouching at your door. Sin is at your doorstep. And it's hiding in the bushes. It's hiding Sin here is a likened to a lion. A fierce lion who, who crouches in the bushes awaiting to strike its prey. 
And the Lord is saying, Cain, hear me now. Sin is currently awaiting you. It is crouching in the bushes for you, Cain. Sin at this moment, God is telling Cain essentially, Cain, sin is stalking you. Sin is shadowing your every move. You ever see that with lions when they go after their prey? They, they almost mimic the footsteps of their prey. They're following the footsteps of their prey. God is saying sin has its eyes fixed on you. Sin has its eyes fixed on you, Cain. John Owen says sin is always acting. Always conceiving. Always seducing and tempting. John Owen also say that even when sin is still, its waters are still deep. Even, saints, when you think you are far away from sin, when you think that you are not in the sight of sin, sin is still active. Sin is still present. Cain, at this current moment, has a choice to make. He can either obey God or obey himself. He can either obey God or obey himself, and by obeying himself, he's obeying sin. Cain has two masters that he could come under, God or himself. That's essentially what we do, saints, when we hand ourselves over to sin. Is that we are saying we are masters of our own body. What choice will Cain make? Will he repent? Or will he act upon his pride? Because that's what Cain is dealing with right now. It's pride. It's pride, saints. That is causing Cain to have this uproar within the members of his body. This, this pride is causing him to even look at his own family member different. What choice will he make? Consider the beginning words of verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother, Abel. And they were in the field. Verse 8 begins with this conversation between Cain and his brother. The text says Cain spoke to his brother. And it's interesting that the Greek Septuagint adds the words to this verse. Let's go out to the field. Let's go out to the field. So this text should, should read like this. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Let's go out to the field. Now remember, saints, Cain is outraged. Cain is furious. His desire to sin is rapidly reaching its apex. And in many ways, saints, when Cain tells his brother, let's go out to the field. The moment he said that, and even prior, Cain in his heart, and hear me now, Cain in his heart and mind has already murdered his brother. When Cain tells his brother, let's go out to the field, in his hearts, he already rose up against his brother and killed his brother. At this point, Cain is a likened to the serpent. Cain talks to his brother just as the serpent talked to Eve. Cain, like the serpent, disguises his evil and hatred with a, with a warm invitation. Let's go out to the field. And saints, this is what sin does. Oh, hear me now. This is what sin does. Sin disguises itself and invites us to partake of its fruit while all knowing its desire is to destroy you. That's what sin, that's what temptation does. Its desire is to destroy you. But it comes to you in a, in a fragrant aroma. It comes to you in in the most inviting way. In beauty that should be looked at as God's beauty in creation. For Cain, sin at this moment is no longer at his doorstep. But sin has now been invited in. When, When Cain tells his brother, let's go out to the field. Sin has now been invited in. To the soul of Cain. But the phrase out of the field suggests that this was 
carefully premeditated and planned by Cain. This was carefully and premeditated, planned by Cain. Cain, in his sick mind, tries to find a place where he could be all alone with his brother. We all know that Cain had no interest in talking to his brother. In fact, the talking to his brother was to soften his brother up, was to disguise what his evil intentions were, was to distract Abel from what Cain was about to do. That's what the talking was used for. Cain lures his brother into the field. Instead of putting his anger, resentment, and bitterness to death, instead of putting his pride to death, Cain comes up with a plan to isolate his brother to put him to death. Instead of choosing to obey God, Cain gives in and chooses to obey himself. He chooses to obey sin. At this very moment, saints, second by second, sin is gaining mastery over Cain. Sin is like a cancer. And it's, it's spreading all throughout the soul of Cain. Saints, this is a little illustration of what James says in James 1.15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives forth death. You do know that sin has an objective, right? <clears throat> Sin's objective is to kill you. Why sin's objective is to kill you? Because in killing you, you can't come back. There is no redo. When, when sin kills you, you cannot come back from that. And you cannot repent. That is sin's objective, saints. Is to destroy you and to wipe you off of the face of the earth so that you do not have any chance of repenting. Sin at this moment is at its infant stages in Cain. And saints, how important it is to kill sin at its infant stages. Saints of God, hear me now. It is of necessity to kill sin at its infant stages. It is of necessity. The moment you are tempted to kill it. To kill it. John Owen hopefully says, rise mildly against the first actings of thy distemper. Its first conceptions. Suffer it not to get the least ground. Do not say thus far it shall go and no farther. If it have allowance for one step, it will take another if you let sin take one step, it will take another step. If you let sin have one inch, it will take another inch. If you let sin and entertain it, if you say to yourself, let me see how far I can go without falling. It will gain mastery if you do not obey God. Thanks of God kill sin at the very moment of its conception. Also, I would even add, know how it, know how this even conception was brought about. <clears throat> know where you were when this conception was brought about. Know, retrace your footsteps of, of how you got to this point of, of even thinking about sinning. That sounds extreme. It is because sin wants to kill you. Sin has nothing good for you other than to destroy you. That sounds like work. Yes, it is work. Write it down. Make mental notes of what caused me to get to this place where I will look at something so disgusting and see it as lovely. What this phrase, I thought the field also suggests, is that Cain wanted to be away from any witnesses. Any witnesses. Cain took his brother far away in the field so that no one can hear the victim screaming for help. But there was one who was watching. The Lord who sees all. Congregation, we can learn from this. We can learn from this. Christians love to do their sin in the dark. 
Christians love to do their sin in the dark. When the doors are locked, when the curtains are down, when the wife leaves, when the husband is out, when the children are put to bed, when there is no one watching, when you think that there is not one person who can see you, But saints, God sees you. God sees you, congregation. Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Saints of God, let this verse be a reminder to us that when we are tempted to sin, although you may be out of plain sight from any human eye. The Lord is looking directly at you. You may be out of plain sight from everyone in the world, but not to God. In fact, you are front and center before God. Think of that, saints, when we next time think of our sin and try and indulge in our sin. That yes, I'm not doing this in front of my mom, but I'm doing it in front of God. I'm not doing this in front of my wife or my husband or my children, but I'm doing it in front of God. But also, saints, I'm doing it in front of myself. Oh, we need to have more self-respect for ourselves. Oh, we need how to not, we need to love ourselves more. By us sinning, we are saying that we don't love ourselves. We don't love ourselves. We're degrading ourselves. We're lessening who we were meant to be, especially if you're a Christian in Christ. Sin is the highest form of expression of one who does not love themselves and who does not love God. Saints of God, let this be a reminder to all of us. But as for Cain, the stage is now set. The stage is set. With temptation reaching its climax point, with with temptation now graduating from its infant stages, it's now reached its adult stages. Verse 8. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What was once premeditated has now become a realization. What was once something in Cain's mind has now been actualized in reality. The sin that once was crouching at the door has now trampled Cain. That sin that was awaiting to devour Cain has now devoured Cain. Cain kills his brother Abel. The word killed or kills in the Hebrew indicates that Cain's murder was by no accident. But this has been planned ever since God rejected Cain's offering. Saints, this is most... Horrific is it not? Murder and killing under the wrong circumstances of evil. Cain, though, doesn't kill a stranger. Cain doesn't kill an enemy. Cain kills his own brother. He kills his own brother. Cain, as we read, When is born, Eve says, I have a man-child. I have a man-child. Cain thought that this was the one who would bring peace upon the earth. Eve thought, rather, that this was the one who will trample the serpent's head. Eve thought that this was the one that was spoken of in Genesis 3.15. The one who will crush the head of the serpent instead crushes the head of his own brother. Instead of Cain turning to the Lord to receive life, Cain turns to her brother and deals out death. Cain's murdering of his brother reveals his hatred, not for his brother per se, but his hatred for God. You see, saints, Cain could not kill God. So then what does he do? He kills God's image bearer. Saying, saints, this is what sin does. Sin and evil cannot kill God. So that it goes after God's children. 
sin and evil cannot kill God. So then it says, okay, well, I will go after God's image bearer. Saints, in light of Cain's sin, one application for us is found in 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let me read it once again. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You might say to yourself, I'll never be like Cain. You might say to yourself that I'll never intentionally devise a plan to murder someone in cold blood. However, saints, in your hearts, you might be a convicted serial killer. You might say to yourself, I will never kill someone. But saints of God, ask yourself, how many people in your heart have you murdered? How many bodies do you have in your name? How many people have you murdered by your gossip and by your slander? By your hatred for your brother and sister? Saints of God, if there is any anger, if there is any hate, if there is anything that you have that is not of God in your heart for your fellow brothers and sisters, ask the Lord to forgive you and simply let it go. You will do, you will have more peace in your life when you learn to let things go than when you choose to hold on to things. You will have less stress in your life when you choose to let things go than when you choose to hold on to things. Say like David in Psalm 51.10, created me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Continue to ask the Lord, saints, to soften your heart and my heart for our fellows and brothers and sisters of the faith and even those who are not in the faith. How will the world know, saints? How will they know that we are of God by our love? This is why there's so much hate in the world. Because there's no love in the world. There's no love in the world. Specifically, there's no love the type of love that God infuses into the heart. Saints of God, if we don't do this, if we don't kill our sin at the moment of conception, if we, if we don't allow sin, saints, to have dominion, or if we allow sin to have dominion over our bodies, if, if we don't, saints, kill sin and, and do not let it gain more, more inches, and saints, Cain's fate will be ours. Cain's fate will be ours. Cain has now killed his brother. And he may think that his crime will go unnoticed. He may think that he has come up with a perfect plan in which he can get away with murder. However, God immediately steps in and sets up court and begins to interrogate Cain. He says in verse 9, And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? These words by our Lord are very similar to when God asked Adam in the garden, where are you? Now, it doesn't mean that the Lord is unsure what happened to Abel. The Lord knows what happened to Abel, but rather what the Lord is doing is it's his way of counseling Cain into repentance. Cain, the moment God asked him where his brother was, Cain should have immediately became sorrowful. He should have immediately said, Lord, I am very sorry for what I have done. Cain should have immediately pleaded for God for forgiveness once he was asked where his brother was. But saints, it should be noted that God is displaying to us who he is. God is displaying to us who he is. Instead of God sentencing Cain of murder, he allows Cain to confess his crime. God knows that he did it, but here we see God's patience on display. We see God's gentleness on display. He's allowing Cain to fall on his knees to repentance. God had every reason to strike down Cain, but he allows Cain. He allows Cain to come to his senses. Saints, although God is good and a righteous judge, 
He's also a loving father. But hear me now, those two attributes of God are not to be pitted against one another. It's not that he's evil when he's a righteous God and that he's loving when he's a loving God. No, he is a righteously loving God who judges people lovingly. The Lord says to his people in Israel in Malachi 3.7, return to me. I will return to you. Oh, saints, if you are dealing with any sin presently, hear me now. But the Lord says to Israel, says to you, return to me. I will return to you. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Saints of God, when you think of repentance, what do you think of? What we should think of is simply this. It's a gift of God. Repentance is a joy, is it not? It's not something, saints, that we should put on the back end and say, I will get to it. After we have sinned, we go off and we eat. We go off and do other things. No, 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 no. Repentance is the first thing. It's the first thing we ought to do. If God has graced you to repent, repent. It's a joy, is it not? It's a joy to know that God gifts us with repentance. And saints, we should review repentance as a gift. And nothing less. The gift of repentance of God, and hear me now. The gift of repentance is God calling you to return to him. It's God, saints, saying, child, return to me, and I will return to you. Oh, in light of that, how can we not repent? That seems like the most reasonable thing to do. Yes, Lord, I will return to you. And God promises that I will return to you. Here's the great news, congregation. Here's the great news. If you don't get anything from this sermon, hear this now. No matter the sin. No matter the sin. You can go to God. No matter the sin. You can go to God. This doesn't give us a license to sin. But rather, it puts in perspective... It puts in perspective for us saints how amazing grace is. Oh, I need to cherish God's grace. I need to cherish God. No matter the sin, saints, you can go to God. It's okay to be embarrassed of your sin. That's okay. There ought to be an embarrassment of your sin. But don't hide. Don't hide from God. It's okay to feel shame. You ought to feel shame of your sin. But but don't run away from God. Don't sit yourself in a corner. Run to God. Run to God, saints. But Cain doesn't run to God. Cain does not feel embarrassment. Cain does not feel shame. Cain does not feel any sorrow. Sin has infected Cain's brain. It's, it's wrapped its web around Cain to think rationally. So instead of telling God the truth of his murder, he lies to God. He says to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Here we see in Cain's response how sin has taken over his speech. It's taken over his mind. Now it's taken over his speech. He's telling lies. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, Satan is the father of lies. And here we see Here we see one of Satan's children at work. The Lord tells, or rather Cain tells the Lord, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? What we see in this response is there is no remorse. There is is no shred of guilt. But in Cain's answer, all we see is arrogance. All we see is self-righteousness. Are you... Your brother's keeper, Cain. Yes, you are. 
Yes, you are. You are responsible for caring for your brother. Just as Adam was responsible for Eve. Cain, you're responsible for your brother. Cain was to keep watch over his brother, not murder his brother. Friends, are you starting to see how quickly sin has escalated and intensified post-fall? Isn't that so amazing that we don't need to look to the New Testament to see how sin has infected mankind? We look at the very next chapter. We look at the story of Cain and Abel and see how far man has fallen from grace. When Adam was caught in his sin, at least he confessed to God what happened. At least he confessed. Cain, on the other hand, doesn't seem to care what happened. When Adam's sin was exposed, he tried to cover up his, 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 his members of his body with fig leaves. But when Cain's sin was exposed, he, he tried to cover up his, his sin with lies and with attitude. Am I my brother's keeper? And saints, this is what sin does. Especially when we allow it to have inch by inch by inch by inch and dominion over our lives, saints. Sin will cause us to lie to others. Others ask you, how are you doing? I'm doing good. All while knowing that sin has wrapped its web around us so tight. But but saints, Cain's lies are not fooling anyone. Verse 10, the Lord says, what have you done? Which is another way of the Lord saying, Cain, I know exactly what you've done. I know exactly what you have done. God here is rebuking Cain. Cain thought that he can get away with the perfect murder. He thought that his crime would go unnoticed. But then God says this, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The ground has opened up its mouth and now your brother is screaming. Screaming. Now think of Cain at this moment. Cain thought that, that the field was a far enough place for, for any witnesses to hear the screams of his brother. But now from the field, his brother cries out to God. The, the ground that, that Cain once kept is now stained with his brother's blood. Victor B. Hamilton notes at this point the Hebrew word for crying is associated with the groans of an innocent victim who's been brutalized. Throughout this whole text, Abel never spoke one word. We never heard one word from Abel. But now he speaks louder than all. Now, saints, from the ground that Cain kept, his brother cries out to God. He's crying out to God for justice. He's crying out to God for this wrong to be made right. And here's the great news. That God makes all wrongs right. God makes every wrong right. Congregation, what we learn from Cain's unwillingness to repent is simply this, that unrepented sin is dangerous. Unrepented sin is dangerous. The longer you let it linger, the longer you do not repent, the harder your heart turns to repent. The more we do not cooperate with God's grace, the harder our hearts are. The longer you hold off repentance, hear me now, the more you grow to love your sin. The longer we hold off repentance, the more you become stuck in your sin. Puritan Thomas Watson said, it's better that men should reproach you for repenting than that God should damn you for not repenting. You can be damned for not repenting, saints. It's not just you repent one time of your sins at the moment of conversion and then you don't repent anymore. We repent daily. After we have repent, we repent again. And we repent again. Again, if God has given you the gift of repentance, do not put it in your back pocket. Repent to God. Return to God. And he will return to you. Now, saints, we have reached 
Or we have moved from the interrogation to now God's sentencing Cain. Verse 11 through 12. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you shall no longer yield to it its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. God has now allowed Cain to escape judgment, saints. Here we see post-fall that God pronounces the second judgment upon creation. His creation, rather. And in many ways, Cain's sentence is a lot more severe than his mother's and father's. When Adam sinned, God cursed the ground. When his son Cain sinned, God curses Cain from the ground. When Adam sinned, God told, or rather, God told Adam, in the pain of all his days of life, he will eat from the ground. When Cain sinned, God told Cain that the ground will not produce any food for him to eat. Cain will be a rootless wanderer all the days of his life. Saints, this is the reality of sin. This is the reality of sin. Sin disguises itself as the supreme good. When temptation arises, sin, it almost talks to you. And it says, you're not going to entertain me? What can you find that's better than me? What can you find in this world that is better than what I can offer you at this moment? But saying sin, sin only leaves you wandering for more. Just as Cain was left a wanderer in your sin, you are left wandering for good. Because sin can never give you a good that is everlasting. Hear me, saints. Please hear me. Sin will never give you an everlasting good. Sin will never, you will never reach to a point in sin where you say, I don't have to look beyond this. I'm satisfied here. No. No. You will always look to beyond your sin. You always say, is there something better than this? Because sin has a short lifespan. Sin has a short lifespan, saints. Sin cannot and will not ever fulfill you. It might fulfill you momentarily, but it is not. It is not good. I'm being very adamant, saints, as you can tell. Because we need to kill sin. And we cannot look at sin as a good. As much as the world tries to disguise sin as a good. It's not a good. Only God is the supreme good. And saints, when you sin, you are essentially forfeiting the supreme goodness of God for this pile of mud. You are, you are forfeiting God for something that cannot give you what God can give you. Sin does not allow us to be eternally satisfied. But only God can, saints. And this is the end of Cain's life. We can read and greet on. There's a mark that's given to Cain and all that. But this truly is a sad ending. This is a sad ending in redemptive history. After Adam had fallen, you would think that humanity would learn and take the right steps forward, but rather it take two steps back. Cain is driven away from the presence of God and friends. This is the destination for all those who are sinners and haters of God. Cain's fall teaches us many truths. For one, Cain teaches us how we need to kill sin at the very moment of its desire. Hear me, saints. Kill sin at the moment of its conception. We see in Cain's life an example of how rapid sin can develop in one's life that can ultimately lead to death. If we do not kill our sin, if we do not repent to God, sin will take over you. And hopefully by God's grace, it will not be your final end. 
We see in Cain the need for repentance. But Cain also teaches us saints that sin is not something to play around with. We don't say, let me see how far I can get. Saints of God, don't ever test yourself. If God is testing you, that's fine. But don't, but don't, but don't put, don't, you don't put yourself in a situation where you could be tempted. Don't even play like that. Don't, don't even play like that, saints. Sin is not something that we can play with and entertain. For many of us, our sin will not push us over the edge of killing another person. But hear me, saints. Sin has the power to kill you. Sin has the power to kill you. And it wants to kill you. It desires to kill you. But saints, hear me now. Hear me now, saints. You can fight your sin. And you can defeat your sin. Amen. You can fight your sin. And you can defeat your sin. Sin is not something that's a great foe for those who have the Spirit of God. You can fight and you can win. Remember, saints, Cain, God's words to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. You must have mastery over it, which means that we, we can defeat sin. St. Paul says in Romans 8, 5 through 9, for those who are in, for those who are in according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. Saints of God, you are not in the flesh. The flesh does not define who you are. It used to define who you are. That's the old man. But in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God indwells you. Saints of God, the same spirit that was given to Christ is the same spirit that's given to you. More than that, or rather more so, the same son that was on the earth, the same son that lives in you. More than that, the same Father that sent the Son is is living in you. You have the Holy Trinity right now indwelling you. You have the power of God in you. And you can defeat, you can defeat sin, saints. And many of you have before. Many of you have before. So keep doing it. Keep doing it. It's not a bad thing to be a slave to righteousness. It's not a bad thing, saints, to try to strive to be holy. It's not a bad thing to as much as you can be perfect on this earth as your heavenly father is perfect. Kill sin. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the the created effect of the Holy Trinity, which is faith, hope, and love. By faith, cling to God. By hope, look to God and the present and future blessings that he has promised us. And by love, love God above all else. But ultimately, congregation, in addition to all of what we have said, how do we defeat sin? Look to Jesus Christ. Look to your Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, when you put Christ in sin, if we even can, on the same table, which is better? Is there even a comparison? Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 11, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies 
and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Oh, Christ is an elder brother who is so much better than Cain. He's so much he's he's a far brother brother than Cain was. Your elder brother, saints, is not ashamed. And he will never be ashamed to say to you, I am your keeper. On the day of judgment, he will not say to God, am I my brother's keeper? He will say, no, I'm responsible for my brother because I am his surety. He says to you, he's not ashamed to say, I am your keeper. Christ doesn't take his brothers out to the field to be murdered. Rather, he takes himself up to Golgotha's hill to be slaughtered for his brothers. He doesn't take the life of his brothers. He lays down his life for his brothers. He becomes one with his brothers. And he says, I will allow. I will allow those who hate me to rise up against me. And I will allow them to slaughter me. I will allow them to do to me what Cain did to Abel. Just as Cain rose up against Abel in a field where no one can see, Jesus Christ says, I will be put on the cross. And I will be lifted up on a high mountain for the whole world to see. But they will see my love. They will see what kills hate. They will see me preach the greatest sermon I've ever preached with less words. I will show the love of God. The love that God has for his people. I will show what true brotherly love looks like, which is sacrifice. Which is to look for the good for others. Saints of God, Cain is not the promised seed. Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the promised one. He is the promised seed that doesn't crush the head of his brother. But he crushes the head of the serpent for his brothers. Saints of God, look to Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. When temptation arises, just say the name of Jesus. Just say the name of Jesus. Saints of God, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you have no appetite for anything else. And don't allow yourself to have any appetite for anything else. Do not allow sin to let your mouth water. Do not allow sin to allow your stomach to, to grumble. Saints of God, you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. Your whole soul, your whole soul, saints, from your intellect to your will to your passions, is taken care of when we consider the love of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Let's pray.